Welcome to the Hex Knight Podcast. I'm still David. And I continue to be Ivan, although I'm pondering that. Yeah, right. The postmodern era, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> hey, man. When I was a kid, we were told we could be anything we wanted. Yeah. So. <laughs> to begin, a uh, couple episodes. Uh, episode 18, we talked about uh, new trends in gaming and what a modern streamlined game actually means. Or what it means to us. So this episode, we decided to flip that and talk about uh, older paradigms in gaming and what we really like about them and miss about them and what other people are probably kind of put off. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Um, And hopefully without indulging in too much nostalgia. um, I'm not opposed to nostalgia at all. I like a lot of old science fiction television. Um, you know, I lo- love original Star Trek, uh, even though it's definitely, uh, you know, there were some advances in television effects in the last 40 years, as it turns out. Um, <laughs> so I don't think it's wrong to n- indulge in nostalgia, but I think sometimes it's easy to dismiss any enjoyment of old things as nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we can be clear eyed and acknowledge that, yeah, sometimes that's part of it. You know, you remember the games you played as a kid, um, but sometimes that can also be some legitimate things to look for. Um, I think one thing that happens a lot uh, when old games, when people talk about old games, and there's a tendency, I think, to kind of dismiss them. You know, if there's a newer game, it must be better. Um, a lot of games have been around, have multiple editions. I think Shadowrun is up to six. I have lost mm-hmm. track of how many Traveler editions there are. Dungeons & Dragons is at five. If you only count some of them, it's technically at like nine if you count everything. Um, you know, things move on. New games come out all the time. Like, there's so many games, it's hard to even keep track of them. Um, and I think a lot of times when people look at older games, uh, there's a couple of things that kind of uh, trip people up a little bit. Um, and I want to just kind of address those first before we really start talking about specifics. Because uh, there's three things I see a lot uh, when just talking to people online or reading conversations people have had. Um The first is, I think a lot of times we conflate bad games we played with bad games we were playing. Um, You know, like a lot of us cut our teeth when we were somewhere around teenagers, and teenagers are little goblins. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we had our power gamers, we had the guy who wanted to play the rape goblin, we have, you know, the terrible GM who... uh, wanted to uh, his cool npc to crush you you know we all played like really garbage games and if we're honest a lot of the games we played when we were young were probably pretty bad i mean hopefully Rifts. a lot of them <laughs> right <laughs> <Rifts> just <laughs> just kind of by default but you know we played a lot of games with regardless of what the rules said that wasn't really the reason those games were bad right like we just had like shitty players and a gm who didn't understand because we were all like 13 and figuring this stuff out and you couldn't go online and like listen to somebody do it for real you just had to learn and screw it up so you got better next time uh so i think there's a tendency to assume that because our games that we played were kind of trash that means that the rules we're using were also trash and obviously that doesn't really follow uh, so I think that's one case or one uh, trap we could fall into. Uh, the second is that a lot of times if we played a game that we grew up on, especially if you're, you know, like 
me and my friends bought a lot of RPG books because that was kind of like our main thing. So we would just burn all our pocket money. But, you know, we were kids. You didn't have that much pocket money to burn. So you didn't have that many books. So whatever game you bought, you ended up playing that for a while, right? Yep. You know, so you figured out all the, uh, by playing it so much, you figured out all the issues and the problems, the part that didn't really work that well, the rule that was kind of stupid and broken. Um, and a lot of times we compare that to a newer game that doesn't have those exact same problems. So we just kind of mentally assume, because those are things we understand really well, those problems we've dealt with them so long. Mm-hmm. You know, if a game has like a particular class is really overpowered, uh, so a new game comes out and it has a similar character type, but they work fine. And you're like, oh, okay, that means the new game is much better. But we haven't had, you know, five years of playing games three days a week or whatever we did back then to learn all the problems of the new game. So I think sometimes we make the assumption that because a, a different game doesn't have those issues, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have other issues that are lurking. Um, and the third, I would say, is just a question of styles and taste changing. The sort of game that is popular today is very different from the kind of game that was popular in the 80s. Um, I started gaming technically at the very tail end of the 80s, but really more like early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, we might have, I mean, some people start in the 70s or, you know, uh, so it just depends on when you started. But no matter when you started, what was in vogue and what was popular isn't cool now. You know, like I, when I really became like a hardcore RPG nerd, that was like the height of White Wolf and those kind of like gothic uh, semi-horror story-driven games. And those aren't really popular anymore. They're out there, but that's not the, now the zeitgeist is back to like Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, like cool events like uh, cartoon adventures, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and those kids that are starting now, that won't be the case in, like, t- another decade. You know, it'll be something else that we haven't predicted yet. Like, For sure. like, like any art style or entertainment, like, it just changes. It's like comic books or, you know, movies or video games, like, whatever. Is, how many people nowadays make a movie tie-in pl- platformer for the computer? Well, nobody. But when I was a kid, that was, like, all you got. God, and so many of them were so bad. It was just a lazy... They were pretty bad. I can only imagine the licensing must have been really cheap to churn out, like, a Terminator, uh, like, Super Nintendo game, because, good lord, they couldn't have ride on, like, actual sales. Yeah. The, gosh, right. They benefited a lot from the fact there was no YouTube, so you couldn't go see how bad the game was. You just had to bank that when your parents shelled over, like, 50 bucks, like, it was going to be good. Yeah. And one (laughs) thing I I wanted to interject with the, like, Mm -hmm. memories of old games, uh, I guess pre-internet, like, Mm -hmm. you had the book and you had your friends, Mm -hmm. and that was it. Like, you're interpreting all that stuff yourself. So something, if something is not quite clear you have to house rule it and kind of like make an arrangement with the people at the table as you like everyone kind of like passes the book around and tries to figure out what does this mean in our situation? Right. Or it turns out like I've had a couple of cases where a game I had played back in the day, because a lot of times it was like there would be like the one guy who liked one specific game and he bought the books for it. So if he played that, he was the one running it. Mm-hmm. And I've had a couple of times where I picked up the book much later and read it and realized that the game was nothing like what that dude was running, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but we didn't, you know, like if you could borrow the book from him and you couldn't, <laughs> you weren't going to read the whole thing. You just read your spells or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yes. But yeah, you're right. Like you couldn't, I mean, sometimes if you, if you were playing like Dungeons and Dragons, you could 
get like Dragon Magazine and you could like get questions answered. Um, hoping that somebody had written in with the same question you did, right? Yeah. Or if you played like Warhammer, like you could get White Dwarf. But if right. you played anything else, like I don't know if there was like a Rifts magazine. Um, no. And even then, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, like you could try writing a letter. Like I remember us uh, as teenagers, like sending a letter in the mail to Games Workshop to get like Warhammer questions answered. They would write back. So that was cool. But, you know. I hope you don't need it for this game because it takes like two weeks. Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm so sure you just they have had to figure fun. it out. Yeah. I'm sure they had fun with that too, like communicating with their fan base and like a, a kind of slower paced, more thoughtful way. Yeah, I think um, like nowadays, you know, like I write games and I answer questions all the time. You know, people mm-hmm. ask me in Discord. I get questions on Twitter. People email and stuff. Uh, and it's cool. Like, I'm glad I can provide that. You know, people want to know what the intent of the game is uh, right. before they go, like, change something. And that's cool. Like, I enjoy providing that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, in a way, like, like it's good it exists, but it was also something that for so long didn't. And if you grew up gaming, like, if you got into gaming late 90s or later, that has never been the case. Like, there's always been, like, an online FAQ or, like, an errata sheet you could download or, you know. As opposed to having to wait for like a new printing of the book and then hope that they fix the uh, the error or something, right, right, or so or you just in the text, right. So there's a lot of just different um, just differences in the like entire atmosphere of gaming too, um, and a lot. I think it was a lot more local in a lot of ways. You know, like mm-hmm. whoever ran rifts in your circle. That was the Rifts game. That's how Rifts was for you. Right. Uh, but but that could be completely different from somebody who ran it somewhere else. Um, right. And I think that that can take us back to, like, our talk on, like, bad gamers or, like, bad trends in, like, certain groups or your high school and kind of the people that are, like, <laughs> right. moving between gaming groups. Like, they pick up things from here and you pick up things from there. And you mm-hmm. mesh and clash and kind of argue and work hash <laughs> stuff out in different ways. Yeah, you sort of like you get to a game in the end. Yeah, yeah, totally. But uh, actually, I remember vividly. Uh, we played um, in high school. We played uh, second edition AD and D, and whenever because there was this whole circle of kids or young adults, whatever, uh, who were all playing the game. And all yeah. kind of, everyone had their own little group, but occasionally people would get together like, oh, we should play a campaign. So we get like two people from that group, one dude who didn't have a group, and three people from another group. And it would always be this like hour of like negotiation of like, <laughs> okay, how do we do critical hits? How do we do XP? How do we do characters? How do we roll the, you know? Because <laughs> everyone had their, like, in my group, it was just taken for granted that you rolled, like, stats were 46, dropped the lowest, and mm. you got to assign them. And then you could trade, like, two for one. So every right. two points you took out of charisma, which was always it, you could put <laughs> one in your strength, which is always where it went. Uh, and that was just how we always did it. We always started level three. Uh, you were unconscious at zero, and you died at negative, like, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. But that was just, like, taken for granted. Like, when, when my group sat down to play, everyone was on board because that's mm-hmm. how we had always done it. And then as soon as another player shows up, that all ground to a halt because they didn't have those same, uh, you know, in their group, they had a points buy and they started level one and they did this and they did this. And you had to, sure. like, uh, you know, like, uh, correlate all of it. Yeah. 
You know, I make fun of rifts, and I will continue to make fun of rifts. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a code. Like, I've still got the book, and mm-hmm. I think there are parts of it that I've always found really compelling. It's just the mm-hmm. thing is such a madcap, like, clues of <laughs> all sorts of stuff that none of it can work together. Like, it was almost kind of perfect for mm-hmm. the people I played it with because we're all coming from, like, crazy different places or the other guys were right like robots and one guy had like this ridiculous overpowered like super samurai and he like he brought in his character he's like hey he can do this and he can do this and he gets like five attacks four rounds all right dude whatever so like i gave like every single bad guy like fireproof heavy armor even like little peons and you know they're just like they engage in like combat and these guys you know those guys would throw their high-powered crazy rifts characters at them and they would Mm -hmm. just be bullet sponges because i knew that's the situation that was <laughs> like no you're not just gonna like roll through my game and wipe everything right. out like you have to earn this <laughs> so that yeah that the funny thing with rifts is is almost like spancy tire because you could do like a really like low power campaign where everyone is are just like rogues and drifters like roaming around america yeah. And then you could have a different game where everyone is like a psychic space knight who can shoot mind blazers, <laughs> you know, and there's in the same book, like there's nothing to like make you, <laughs> you know, usually you'd have to buy a different game for that. Yeah, that's, but the problem is like every, no one can, do, no one could agree on one part of the game. Like, oh, of course, is going to bring in like their own crazy part. Well, the funny thing is, if if that game had been written today, it would have a whole section at the front saying, oh, Rifts can be all these different styles. We're going to list like five of them. And when you're sitting down to run this, you're going to tell your players which style you're playing. And you're going to tell them what kind of characters are appropriate and what kind of abilities fit that style. And then your players who are not 13-year-old goblins are going to pick from that list and make characters that fit your concept. But yeah. that shit didn't exist in like '85 or when a risk came out. Right. So it right, was just right. like, you know, here's a book of crazy stuff that all exists in this world. Pick some stuff. So you get like one guy's like the glitter boy who has like atomic missiles, and the other guy's like a schizophrenic who wets himself. <laughs> Have fun like making a balanced encounter for those two. Yeah, it's like the anti-balance game. Right, exactly. I mean, I I will bet anyone who was a good Rifts GM has some mad improvisation skills. Seriously. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's actually like one of the things that I think obviously like a lot of modern games are much more like focused. Yeah. Um, especially in like the indie sphere. You get a lot of games that are very like... Um, you know, they have a very specific concept that they want you to do, and they're built just for doing that. And the idea of these, like, broad kitchen sink games has maybe gone out a little bit. Like, Dungeons & Dragons is kind of like the last gasp of that, where it's Mm. just, like, whatever fantasy crap we can think of goes in the pot. Right. If you Um, can associate it with some medieval, like, pre-industrial thing, go for it. Yeah, and very, like, vaguely associated at that. It doesn't have to be that (laughs) close. Um... but Riffs is kind of like the opposite of that. It's just like gleefully like grabbing with arms and legs anything that anyone who wrote the book thought was cool ever. <laughs> you know, and there's not really... Because it was... Um, I think a big part of it... Um, and I know you're uh, itching to talk about Rollmaster, uh, so I'll lead you into that. 
Um, I, I think a big part of old school gaming was uh, that it really wasn't meant to be this idea that all everyone buys a copy of the book and you pick out all your stuff. It was really meant to be like the GM buys a copy of the book and he has a Viking hand. He runs the game and the GM chooses what goes in there. Um, and of course, because nobody understood this stuff, nobody wrote this down. Um, Except for the gentleman at Iron Crown, because uh, Rollmaster had a approximately 10 billion books, all of which had 10 billion rules in them. Uh, and at least in each of the companion volumes, they always have that little um, intro snippet where it was like, uh, hey, if you're the GM, this is your world. If anyone wants to use this stuff and it doesn't fit in your campaign, tell them to get bent. <laughs> you know like they were very clear like these are even though these are like classes and spells and stuff that these are tools for the gm like you're creating a world so you choose what rules goes into it mm -hmm. um which is again like you know the role of the gm has kind of changed over games um but i think there's still like a lot of people still kind of default to the idea of the gm being essentially like you know like the boss of the game the referee um yeah, the world builder and the referee generally yeah, uh, and occasionally, like, the uh, the mother and father of everyone. <laughs> Calm down, children! I know, put your phone away, stop doing that. Don't put that in your mouth. No, don't throw the dice. <laughs> you know, this is just kind of how it goes. Um, but I think um, Rift especially, and uh, Rollmaster, like, super, super much, um, is definitely in that vein where it was absolutely assumed that you're sort of refereeing this world and you have like complete control over the rules in a way that modern games i think would feel very uncomfortable with i think a lot of modern games have kind of learned from board games that the rules are more supposed to be this like common ground if we all sit down to play the rules give us like um you know like we all have the same expectations going into it and therefore we can just get on with the rest of it uh, yeah, the idea well, that when you're the GM, you're literally the god of physics uh, is something <laughs> I think a lot of modern games would be really uncomfortable with. Uh, and old games don't have that. Like, they are very open about that. Sure, sure. And part of that is, like, managing the, that, the kitchen sink sort of vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, I've uh, another game I've always really enjoyed as a, or really liked from kind of afar is that Shadowrun, I mean, in the 90s, that was, I would say, like, um, there was White Wolf and, like, Shadowrun was just one step behind it because it was a bit more technical and the girls didn't want to, weren't interested in all that dice crap. <laughs> right. Kind of, Shadowrun was always, like, unafraid of being, like, heavy with rules. For uh, sure. Where White Wolf was, was very, like, oh, it's a story game and, you know, it's all about your character and yada yada. Um, Shadowrun yeah. was, like, yeah, they were heavy rule books, and they've only gotten like heavier with the years. Yeah, and I think that sort of thing uh, comes out. And uh, you know, I, I grabbed my set of Rollmaster Classic books, uh, mm -hmm. Character Law, Arms Law, and uh, Spell Law. I mm -hmm. sat down and started going through these beasts. <laughs> and you know, the first thing that became apparent to me is that. Um, Really, I think these games were kind of put together for people who had been playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons and, and fantasy-oriented role-playing games for a long period of time. They mm -hmm. knew the prior systems they had been playing, 
the the various versions of Dungeons and Dragons for years. So like they had like this really strong understanding of like what they expected from role playing, how the mechanics worked, and like how they want to use all that. So you bring along role master and it just ups the ante on every single aspect of that <laughs> that you can imagine. You can almost tell, like you could draw the lines from D D to Rollmaster, like all right, so stats work like this in D D. So in Rollmaster, they're gonna be like this, you know, like saving throws are gonna be like this, and you can like draw the lines, and every time, like it gets a little more, uh, a little more involved. Yeah, I mean, some of it's like I really like some of the ideas, like mm-hmm. even though I, I'll, I'll never forget making my first Rollmaster character with you. Mm-hmm. I, I always say this, you know, I like I, I picked out all the my skills. But I didn't put enough points into the attributes that the skills were based on, and you actually mm-hmm. combine those scores to, to like check. Like you have to have strength to be good with a sword, right? Right. You know, and you're like trying to juggle all of these points <laughs> between skills and the attributes, right? And skill categories if you're playing a standard system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. There's a lot of moving parts, and you just kind of like assume to internalize it because the game is gonna come out and like t- tell you like, oh, by the way, if you're making a like a scrappy character, you should probably get these things. Like, uh, you can forget to purchase more hit points, which means you play a fighter and then, like, pass out the first time somebody knocks you on the chest. Yeah. <laughs> like, even if it didn't go through your armor. Um, so it's just, yeah, like, I think the assumption was that you're right, like, you're coming from, like, advanced Dungeons & Dragons by then, probably. And right. you're ready for, like, more of that. You know, you want, like, a hardcore... I, I don't know if it's necessarily a simulation, uh, although at the time it was definitely billed as such. Uh, but it's definitely, like, uh, I don't know, like, comprehensive, you know? Like, you want something for everything. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like, injuries. Like, D&D has always just had hit points, and when you get to zero, bad things happen. So Rollmaster, like, well, we have hit points, and when you go to zero, you're knocked out. But then you can get stunned, and then you can be at a penalty, and then you can drop your weapon or be must parry. You know, like everyone who's played Merrick or a Rollmaster remembers like critical hits. Oh man, because uh, they're yeah. so vivid and they make combat like really exciting. Uh, but they're also it's what the the thing of like uh, how can we make the rules like provide more results. Instead of just rolling to hit and marking off four hit points, what if your arm is now broken and you have to parry because of the pain, right? It's strange, though, because I like I did, didn't did get a chance to go through even a quarter of it. Like, I was just looking at it. It's like half mm. this book is just death by tables. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> right? I don't have time anymore to, to even deal with half of this. I mean, it's all cool, and it all, like fits together brilliantly if you have the time and energy to work through and master this game. I think that's really, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Because uh, I think a lot of these games were, you know, they assumed this was kind of like your primary hobby, right? Like right. This was, so you're, you know, if you spend every weekend reading up on this stuff and, like, figuring it out and uh, putting it all together and then you played it every weekend, yeah, you would be a, a shark at it and it you know, like, I've run a fair amount of Rollmaster. You played most of them. And, you know, like, yeah. we got pretty good at it, but we also, you know, we were pretty, like, scoundrelly with uh, what we used and what we didn't. You know, yeah. so a lot of things just kind of, like, got cut. Uh, but we got pretty good at just making the game float by. You know, I remember we had uh, 
uh, Brandon just reading out criticals. Um, so yeah, there's, I will say one of the things that I've always found, um, maybe a little, un not unique cause nobody's that unique, uh, but not that common is I have a great deal of appreciation for a involved rule system because mm -hmm. once you get up to speed on it and everyone kind of like it starts clicking for everybody. Um, a lot of times it also feels very rewarding. It's like this uh, machine that you put together and it's rolling around. It's like when we played the GURPS, when we did the GURPS World War II game, which was really involved because mm -hmm. we had like multiple characters and like hex maps and everything. Uh, but it was right. really co right. cool because it was so dramatic and vivid and everything just kind of like moved really well. But of course, that's a lot of like <laughs> there's a lot of work to kind of get there and it depends a lot on the group as well like everyone has to be kind of like um and i think that's a style that definitely has kind of gone away a little not entirely you can still like shadowrun is still like a monster to play mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely like unpopular like the game this industry has moved towards games that are easy to pick up and that's probably universally a good thing um, but I think there is an appreciation for that kind of more deliberate and involved experience of something that just takes a little bit more effort put in, uh, but you might also get a little more kind of, I don't want to say versatility, but like just a more detailed result out of it. And I think that can actually make storytelling more interesting sometimes because the game can throw things up that normally would have come from one of the players just like inventing it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. There there are two points with this that, that keep coming to my mind. And, and one is, like, with these more complex games, uh, uh, like, because you have all that granularity and all the, the stats, like, there was no kind of, like... Like, one of the things that kills me about, um, like, newer, I don't know, post-TSR... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has been the challenge rating system. Mm. I, I can't stand it. Like, and I, f <laughs> I feel like with the granularity and the detail within mm. the rule system, these sorts of older rule systems, like they gave you the ability to really know your character's strengths, mm -hmm. and you could also kind of probe the opposition. And the the game master could set up more complex variability in the types of opponents they would put in, and kind of lay out this like interactions of like like big monsters that had certain weaknesses or situations mm. that put big monsters kind of at a tactical disadvantage. So if the players are really with it, then they mm. can work their way through and take advantage of like crazy situations. But now, yeah. Uh, Cause it's basically, you have more like levers to pull on. There's just more factors. And that means you have more, more places where you can do something. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereas now with the challenge rating system, it's like, Oh, I'm level three and that's too big. Like you just look at the book. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, and you just kind of run away. So that's, I, I missed that. Or like, I, yeah, I think there's the, I think there's definitely something to that. And it also is like, you know, like if you want to give a player, uh, I was watching a video from uh, one guy, uh, Matt Colville, who was like monstrously famous. So we don't need to shout him out, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, he does a lot of like GMing advice videos. He's very focused on running Dungeons and Dragons. This is his game. That's what he's played for years. And he's happy doing this. So 
Uh, but one of the things he talks about is he doesn't like the idea of feats in this game. He likes the idea of handing out like custom bonuses to characters when they do something cool. Nice. You know, like so you your character like uh, climbs up the mountain to the monastery and you meditate there, and as a result, the monks respect you and they teach you some ability. Um, and I think for a game that's more involved, that just has more stuff, you know, like Rollmaster has 10 different stats you can mess with. Uh, it has a billion skills. You can do, you know, like, uh, if you use a system for exhaustion points, which I don't think we ever did, but if you did, you know, what if your character is, like, from a region? You grew up in, like, a um, dense swamp. Uh, so your character is just, like, really tough, and they can uh, do exhausting uh, travels and labor more. You know, there's just all these little points where you can go in and you can apply a bonus or a penalty or, like you say, you can make a monster that, like, drains energy out of people so they uh, gain exhaustion points. You know, like, that would be a really unique encounter that you never get in the game. Um, but, of course, it means you have to, like, be into that subsystem, right? Right. So, but, yeah, I think that's, um, like, the that sort of very detailed, meticulous, you know, like, kind of like Turbo Nerd game. That's definitely something that's fallen to the wayside a little bit. Uh, like I said, you can still get it in like Shadowrun or GURPS is kind of like the last stronghold of that in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely like fallen out of um, out of favor. And I think it's a style that, even though it's it's kind of like the stereotype of like why role playing games are like complicated, stupid bullshit. Uh, but I think there's also a lot of players who would genuinely enjoy that kind of game if they had a chance to play it and had a group that was kind of like into it. Yeah. You know, um, so I think that's definitely like one area where old games can have a lot of value, uh, even though the way they were going was not the way the industry needed to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like part of this is like kind of a change of guard and a change of generation Uh obviously so you have new people that they actually came up with video games as kind of like this stopgap and they didn't have Uh that point with like the tsr red box when they were like 11 they've got like freaking youtube throwing all these video games at them like day and night so that's their entry point yeah like the the point of entry has Change, you know, like a lot originally it was assumed people would come for like miniatures games or like hex, like board games, war yeah. games, because that was the audience. Then you kind of shift to get like uh, the entry becomes like Dragonlance novels and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, at some point, like the entry point becomes video games because that's how most people would be exposed to the idea of like a, a role playing game or, um, you know, like the idea of fantasy, really. So right. Uh, and if you're coming from that, you know, and I'm not going to bag on people if that's your inspiration, because that's, you know, you didn't control when you were born. Uh, but in that case, you used to the computer handling all of this stuff. So the idea of having to do it by hand, that doesn't seem all that appealing all of a sudden, you know. Right. Like, um, and there's also, you know, like the downside of that play style is that, you know, everyone has the horror story spending like three hours on like one fight. Um I think a lot of times that's bad GMing, but sometimes that's what you're stuck with. So, you know, there's obviously an advantage to just, like, can we just, like, roll a d20 and, like, move on? Sure. (laughs) Uh, Which leads to, I think, the second, like, leg of old-school gaming, which is the exact opposite, the minimalist kind of game. Uh, We played a brief game of um, original Dungeons & Dragons, like, straight out of the the brown books with uh, Elf as a character class and, uh, like, basically no rules in the book. And I think for that whole game, like, 
anytime either of you guys want to do anything, I ended up just like making something up on the fly because the book certainly didn't help. Um, like just deciphering how attack rolls were supposed to work was enough of a challenge. Um, but yeah. that was the, that's sort of the other we played, you know, a little bit of a, like classic traveler and stuff where again, like each skill has like some suggestions for how it works, but it's is flat out like, yeah, the referee should make it up. Like, um, if you find like a strange artifact or something and the player says, oh, my guy's a dwarf uh, and his parents were minors, I'm sure. Uh, so I should be able to like roll something to like figure that out. And because the game doesn't tell you anything about how anything works, if you're playing like, you know, original D&D or games, from, some games from that era, it's just up to the GMs like figure it out, um, which can be like really, um, I think, liberating in a way too you know you just right. get to like do everything like r just off the fly you know like um at a convention game a million years ago in dead park i played a game with uh it was billed as a DD game but it kind of wasn't like the gm just like called out somebody would say what they wanted to do and he would just like call out oh well your character isn't good at that so that's uh, 35 percent then you, you just roll and see if you succeed or not mm. so it was really weird um i mean it worked well and it's Certainly, there was no like fucking around with like looking up rules or anything because it was just like I want to do this thing. And my guy's a ranger, like oh, okay, cool, eighty five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so that can be really fun too. And I think one thing I think happens a lot for uh, new players because there's people who like they're really into the idea of role playing games. They love the idea of making a character and like coming up with a story for them. They love the idea of like learning, you know, experiencing like the adventure and making this story together. And then they crack open their 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons book and realize that they have to read, like, 50 pages to figure out how combat works. And they're just like, nah. Right. <laughs> I, I'm just going to write fan fiction instead because I don't got to read, like, a tax exam to, uh, <laughs> to, to get to uh, make a story there. Um, right. And I think... And this is something that I think has kind of been picked up, like, the whole OSR movement, which is kind of, like, lost all... This is a topic for different... Of a different time. Uh, I think it's moved away from its original purpose of, like, bringing back, like, ideas of original Dungeons and & Dragons. Uh, but that whole thing has definitely, like, embraced the idea of this very, like, rules light. Uh, just kind of, like, referee or GMing the game, like, on the fly kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, like, modern gaming, even when it's more rules light, tends to still have that kind of, like, board game feel where the rules are established and laid out for everyone to understand mm -hmm. and there's sort of this unspoken assumption that even though the book always says you don't have to follow the rules but it's very much kind of like the intent you should you know like that's the common ground we can all meet on well i feel like with newer games like what like there's no there's no place else to go right when i check out the rules i don't feel like like with older games i i feel like there's so much like even within the structure of the book, there's so much commentary and they're organized more based on the, the thought process of the writer rather than the structured kind of algorithmic set of rules with like mm -hmm. tables and like advice sections, you know, where they're yeah. really laying out point by point. Whereas with like the older books, you're kind of like you get a sense of what should broadly happen. So if you, the rules aren't really working out. You can just kind of take that step back to feel mm -hmm. the personality of the game itself. I think that's a really good point, actually. And I think a lot of like um, 
sort of a sense of like personality is uh, definitely something that a lot of like glossy new games can sometimes kind of miss. Um, and again, like if you get in like indie games where it's literally one dude selling his game on like itch.io, uh, that's obviously still there. Um, for sure. But <laughs> like one of the best examples, honestly, is the uh, like the second edition RuneQuest book because uh, it walks you through like, all right, so let's roll up your stats. And it has an example that goes step by step of somebody rolling up a character. Then it's like, okay, let's like have a fight. And it tells you how combat works and it gives you an example with the same character that he's fighting. And then it's like, okay, so you need some skills. So here's how the skills work, how you get them. And it's like, oh, well, all these cost money. Uh, so you're gonna have to like get credit from one of like the guilds in the world. So now you owe some money. Um, okay, well, you need some spells to go adventuring. So here's how the spells work. And then it's like, okay, well now you have a finished character and he owes a bunch of money to like his temple because they gave him training, so why don't you go, like, adventure? So here's how monsters are look. Um, it is this very, like, organic process that feels like you're sitting at the table with, like, Greg Stafford and Steve Perrin, and they're just, like, walking you through how to play the game uh, in this very, like, personal kind of way. Yeah. Uh, which I think is, like, really powerful. Um, you know, conversely, of course, you have, like, uh, figuring out how to make a character from the original Rollmaster books, which is not friendly <laughs> <laughs> but there's still kind of a logic to how it goes you know like things are you know and you sort of have to like sometimes guess that logic a little bit well there's just so much of it i mean you really mm -hmm. to really take that in you gotta set aside the afternoon mm -hmm. you know yeah you gotta make the investment right right and then you've got to be like reading like a programmer just zoning in on that one section and don't look at the rest even the rest of the page because like <laughs> it'll distract you and you'll just get lost like right 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 these charts and what is it saying about like adding these stats to this attribute and right so conversely you know you flip open your original dnd book and the stats do nothing I'm like all right <laughs> <laughs> or dwarf is dwarf is a class there's this guy whenever i bring up osr type stuff he's like mm -hmm. you know elf is not a class <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing in a literary sense it totally is you know like the, right. the elf is an archetype so but i i get it it's one of those things that like um people can either like get over or they can't and usually there's not a lot of crossover sure. like sometimes <laughs> people just like kids like um a friend of mine was he was always interested in the idea of RuneQuest because he liked the idea of Barantha. He loved, like, magic-heavy games. Mm -hmm. uh, he, and he loved the idea of this world where, um, like, all these strange people were living and they all had, like, strange magic. And you could have, like, magical tattoos. And you could ride, like, animals and stuff. Uh, and the one thing that kept him away was the ducks. He just couldn't get over it. Like, for whatever <laughs> reason, that just, like stuck with him so bad and he was a DD player so it's not like he wasn't used to like stupid bullshit in the book but it was just like that one thing and i kept trying to explain like okay even if you were to just not say like oh okay there's no ducks in this campaign like they live in like a one little corner in a swamp in one spot on the map and it was just like he couldn't get over it right so sometimes people just get like there's just like it's a bridge too far <laughs> Well, I loved it, man. Like we mm. played that whole campaign with the ducks and it was not, it was like grim and dreary and it was all like tactical combat yeah. and uh, there was right, no magic, no gods. It's, that's, it's really funny. We just kind of made the game what we wanted it to be. 
Yeah, it was really cool because it was like the experience of like choosing like, oh, okay, I'm shorter and weaker than everyone else in the world. So we got to like be dirty little bastards. It was great. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, great. But, but I think that's also, um, I think I mentioned before the idea of uh, the 80% game where you have a game that can do like get 80% of the way there on almost any idea you have. Mm-hmm. You know, the classic example is you say you want to run like a Harry Potter game and you can do it with Dungeons and Dragons. It won't really be all that great, but it'll it'll work okay. You'll get 80% of the way there. Uh, and I think old school games was very much about that. Um, mm. You have the game and you can kind of throw anything at it. You know, like I read a campaign log of somebody running RuneQuest and he ran a strictly historical game set in like the Crusades and his characters were like running around and making deals with like Templar knights and Muslim orders and third party groups and stuff and it was this really like cool political like uh, machinations game and it was powered by RuneQuest which is a game that absolutely didn't intend for you to do any of that but yeah. it, it worked well enough because his thing was like okay well at some point, if somebody's going to fight, I'm going to need some rules for that. And I'm going to need some skills, and we need a way of, like, for character improvement. That was kind of it. So it didn't really matter whether the rules were intended for that. It did enough of the job to make the game work. Um, and I think that's the strength of a lot of old-school games, that they were kind of intended to... There wasn't a a default way you were supposed to play, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you make your characters, and then the GM was... Like, that was your default, you know? Your GM likes monster hunts? Guess what? You're going to go monster hunting. For sure. <laughs> you know, it's too bad we're playing Star Wars. Actually, a Star Wars monster hunt would probably work really well. Yeah, there's there's some great <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, now I kind of want to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it was just, um, you know, instead of... And I like a game that's, like, very narrowly focused, too. Uh, but I think there's a value to being able to say, okay... We're playing whatever, Rollmaster. Um, if we want to run a game that's about like gladiators like rising up against their oppressors, we could do that. It yeah. may not be the best choice for it, but it would work. If you want to run a game about a wizard school, you could definitely do that again. Maybe there's a better choice. But I think there's a lot of value in being able to say, yeah, we could do all of these ideas with the same game. Yeah. Well, one thing I like about these older games from, I don't know, mid-80s, or maybe mm-hmm. the some of these stuff. Well, yeah, like the TSR stuff and everything that came out of that is they were just rule sets and they encouraged people to make their own settings. Like, they didn't, mm-hmm. like, you know, like newer books, I guess, I don't know, probably somewhere in the mid-90s, like the, the core books started including more and more setting stuff. I which, think that's which, definitely a 90s thing, yeah. Um, yeah. It started, like, I mean, it's always kind of been a case. Like, uh, RuneQuest had, like, you know, a couple of pages on Garantha, but it was really just, like, an appendix. But, yeah, like, by the 90s, that was very much the idea, that people would buy games for the setting and to play in the setting. Um, And you're right, that's not really, like, an expectation for, like, especially, like, 80s games. Um, That might have been an idea, you know, like, if you bought D&D, it was kind of assumed you were playing in Greyhawk. But really what you were doing is you were playing in, like, your GM's, like, own world that just kind of happens to have some D&D stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah, that was, to me, that that was always encouraged. Mm-hmm. But that's also, I think, the uh, that sort of, like, uh, lifestyle game thing, because that assumes the GM is going to sit down and create a world. 
Yeah. You know, and I think everyone has had that this experience. You spend the time, you create your setting, you have like five kinds of elves, and here's how they all relate to each other. And here's all the nations on the map, and here's the gods, and here's like the three big things that are happening. And then your players decide that they just want to run a tavern in like a corner of the map and don't engage with any of it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe so like all of these things, there's probably an, a reason that we just put a setting in the book so we could be like, here, you ignorant fuckwats. Like, we're playing this. This is what the map looks like. You all read the book. You don't have an excuse. We could just start, right? Uh, so I get it, but I agree. Um, I like a lot of setting-heavy games, but I definitely also like to roll my own once in a while. You know, just have... And as a player, uh, this is funny because I like running games in published settings, but if mm -hmm. I'm playing, I much prefer playing in a uh, the GM's own world. Because I want to yeah. explore. Like, that's a big thing for me. I want to, like, go to a place and, like, figure out what's there. I want to learn how these two people, cultures, like, fit together. Um, and, yeah, I mean, yeah. from the outset, for me, when I started running games, like, I, I never even thought about, like, getting someone else's published campaign. Like, maybe mm -hmm. I'd steal, like, sure, I'll steal inspiration from this movie and like oh there's a map of like england <laughs> yeah. or germany but it's still you know i'm like twisting it and just cobbling all sorts of stuff adding spice from different settings to make something that's completely unique in and our so, case it was also that we didn't since we didn't have money for that many books it was totally. a choice between buying rule books or setting books and guess what which of those two is going to have the better fireball spell in it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually thinking about it the other day because uh, I was thinking about I was looking at an old Call of Cthulhu campaign. And I was like, oh, this would be fun to run. And I realized that would never have been a even a thought. Like, um, I don't know when we played Call of Cthulhu uh, in high school if I even knew there were adventures. We knew there was a rule book that had some adventures in it. But we're like, oh, those are just to get you started. You should make your own. Right. Uh, whereas, of course, there's a lot of people who grew up like playing Dungeons and Dragons. They grew up like they bought and played the adventures, um, and they it's this like shared experience. Like, oh yeah, we played like X to Pit of the Fire Devil or whatever, you know. Um, whereas conversely, like if you played like your GM's world, you played a game that like four people in the whole world has ever played, right? Well, to me, that that's what makes it special, and I always think like. I can always play a video game, so why am I doing this right now? <laughs> well, this is also true. Although I think there's also an idea of... Um, it's funny. Um, a friend of mine was talking about uh, a group he hangs out with but doesn't play with. They play Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. And Pathfinder is heavily supported with some, apparently, like really good adventures. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of them. So you can get a lot of... There's a lot of Pathfinder players who will just buy adventures to play. And one group will apparently just... Um, they'll buy... The, they have like a series of adventures and they form a campaign and they played it like five times. And they'll just like play through all of it. And then when they get to the end, they'll start over and they'll just make new, new different characters and play it again. And I was like, I don't want to like crab on your fun. Cause if you're doing this like five times, you obviously enjoy it. That's cool. But I, <laughs> I really don't understand it. I don't get it. Yes. You know, but maybe it's like replaying an old video game at that point. Like you just want to see like, Oh, okay. This time I'm playing like, a wizard uh, with summoning spells. I want to see if like that fight with the giants is like easier now. That's cool. And I mean, it's uh, you're never, you know. you're not going to get bogged down. 
well, yeah, you know what's supposed to happen. So, <laughs> you know, there's no fucking around. You know, like, uh, well, we could go out here in the woods, but in that case, that's going to be a side quest. Like, <laughs> do we want to go, like, do the big fight with the giants now, or do we want to go to the temple first? So I guess it, I could, now I actually kind of do get it. I don't know if I want to, like, play it, but I think I get it. Um, but yeah. Um, kind of sets so, off the, like, I don't know about this. Yeah, it's definitely, like, I try to, like, catch myself from having too many, like, angry old man moments because I'm 40 and I'm realizing from here on out every new experience I have will just be an angry old man moment. Yeah. Like, ah, the TV is bad and the movies are bad and the music is bad and the games are bad and video games are definitely bad. I don't (laughs) like it. You know, and you want to catch yourself in that. Like, you don't want to be like uh, the disgruntled old coot who hates everything and is only interested in things nobody gives a shit about. Like, I'm already interested in many things nobody gives a shit about. So that's part of why we do this, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, we want to have like a lifeline to the modern world. You know, you don't want to be like the weird old dude who's like, "I gotta post my D and D sucks on, on the Twitter." Can you tell me how I get in? <laughs> you right. know, stuck in 1997 <laughs> forever. You know, if I had to pick a year, I I don't know. I would probably pick like the 80s, just so the internet doesn't exist. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> in hindsight, maybe that was better. But then you were also stuck with like the three games that a local game store would actually stock. Sure, sure. You know, like and I remember Super going Nintendo to- graphics forever. If it was Super Nintendo, I think it would be all right. Like 16-bit. <laughs> That's, I could do that. 8 bits. I wasn't interested in video games at all. Fair. So, uh, that was just, uh, it was a little too little. Um, but yeah, no, I remember like going to, um, like the local games shop and I found like a game uh, I really wanted to play and I asked, oh, could you guys like order it? And they're like, nope, our distributor don't carry it. I'm like, okay. And then it took like 10 years before I ever got a copy. And I had to, like, so it was, you know, like, yeah, the internet has helped some things. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah, to, to like, uh, pull things painfully back on topic, um, I think the, like, big things of, like, old games was, in a way, whether they were minimalist and hand-wavy or they were chock full of critical hit tables, um it was kind of a time when people were like feeling out the boundaries of what game design could be and pushing at those boundaries. So, you know, like we have a game that's a little complicated. Let's make one that's like has everything in it. Like, okay, we have a game that's like kind of easy. Let's make the one that has like no rules at all. Um, and a lot of those obviously were like bad ideas in hindsight or they weren't viable for like, you know, like the hobby is not going to go on like that. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. it's just, not going to have like mass appeal that you need to be successful right but that doesn't mean that you can't find something there you know like um you know go yeah grab i mean nowadays we live in a time where like everything is available on like drive-through rpg for a few bucks you know yeah. if you want to go check out original dungeons and dragons you can and you don't have to pirate anything you just go pay and download it if you want like old um i recently picked up a uh, from the bundle of holding because they had a bundle of like every classic traveler book like for not very much money nice you know like all of this stuff is out there like old Shadowrun books you can probably find uh role master you can get and you can always find stuff on ebay mm-hmm. you know um so this stuff is available you know and you can go and explore it you know tell your 
friends that we're not playing fifth edition D&D next time. Like we're going to play some fucking like middle earth role play. Yeah. 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 I, like uh, I'm trying to talk a roommate of mine into playing mutant Chronicles, the third edition, like a, like, mm-hmm. come on, yeah. man. you're like super nerdy and more like detail oriented than me. Like you need to <laughs> take the trailing training wheels off and play something. Heck yeah. Yeah. That's a good game too. The like uh 2d 20 system. I think they call it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, and Mutant Chronicles is uh, is mad eighties. It's all like <laughs> giant giant shoulder pads and like just stupid hairdos. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, that shit is rad. Uh, but yeah, like, there, <laughs> there's a lot of just old games that really offer an experience that you know a lot of new games don't offer. And sometimes, like I said, sometimes there's good reasons for that. And but that doesn't mean that what they offer is something. It's like watching an old movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Like yeah, it can be difficult to watch old movies sometimes because the pacing feels off. There's like ways of shooting scenes can feel very flat because uh, a lot of just common tricks that we directors have used for years, you know, they had to be invented at some point. But you may also be surprised you watch an old movie and find like, oh wow, this is actually like really engaging because uh, it we're aimed at something different, you know, like I like old uh, science fiction movies because they're boring. You know, it's two hours of people talking about some scientific concept. Right. And then they'll have a cut scene with like a huge ship flying across ever so slowly in front of like some galactic <laughs> phenomena or the moon or Mars. Or yeah. And, so- nothing is happening. <laughs> You're just watching this model drifting by, right? It's great. Yeah, yeah, it, you know. yeah, yeah. The Stanley Kubrick thing, man. Two thousand. Oh, absolutely. Like, he drags that out so. Like, that's something I do on this podcast sometimes. Like, I'll mm-hmm. stop and think, or talk slowly. <laughs> it, it's intentional sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. you, you want to think a moment yourself. You want to. Make other people think. Like I think, like going back to older games, like crunchy rule sets. That's mm. part of that too. It's like, man, just like work through some stuff. Don't just mm. like continuously. Like with a more narrative game, you can just kind of blow through and talk. Everyone's talking their way through everything, and mm-hmm. I don't know. And it goes Actually, back to yeah. My uh, perfect example for that is. Um... Uh, Wushu, and I think we played it once. Uh, mm-hmm. it was the, it's a narrative game where you the number of details you put into your description is how many dice you get. Right. Uh, and it's extremely fast-paced because you're just rattling off all the crazy stuff you want your character to do, and then you roll and you mark off points. Uh, and it's it's a fun game. I've run it multiple times. I've really enjoyed it. Um, last time I ran it for some friends out here, uh, we ended up with... Uh, Nazis on a ship uh, summoning a T-Rex on accident because they were trying to summon Satan. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, the heroes had to fight like a bunch of Nazi goons while the T-Rex was trying to eat everybody and the boat was sinking. It was great. Uh, but the game is also really exhausting to run and ex- exhausting to play because you are mm-hmm. always on. Like every single moment when you're doing something, you're narrating and you have to keep adding detail and uh, keep like matching the pace and matching the, it's very draining to play. Cause you never like, you can't like lean back in the same way as saying, okay, uh, I'm rolling to hit and I'm aiming high and at your left arm. And if we hit, uh, we're going to roll for armor penetration. We're going to roll for damage. 
you got this like dum ba dum ba dum ba dum, and it gives everyone like a chance to like think for a moment, and just kind of like take a breather. You know, sure. there's a there's a a more deliberate pacing to it. You know, right, right. Uh, and, and I think that can like BattleTech. Mm-hmm. Where BattleTech like... is exactly like that. BattleTech is super old school uh, and has been like unrepentantly so. <laughs> like the new, the newest version plays the exact same. Um, they fixed like one or two little things. They made a like offspring, like Alpha Strike, which is supposed to be much quicker. Mm. But the real game is still exactly the same. Yep, managing heat and, and then weight and and uh, yeah, like your ammunition remaining and which lo- which hit locations got struck by attacks and uh should you like turn your right flank towards the enemy because you haven't taken as much damage and you know like that's the that's the flow really you know and it has this very like deliberate process to it yeah yeah like me and my brother used to just like call like a weight class and then we just go crazy building like the wickedest mech we could (laughs) within that like limit and we just Mm -hmm. have duels that's what we did. We would call it, uh, we would usually say like, oh, 150 tons. So you could bring like 100 ton dude and a 50 ton. Or you could bring like a whole bunch of like little mechs that just got obliterated. <laughs> um, I guess there was a point system in one of the books, but I tried it calculating it once. And it was insane. So I, we gave up yeah. on that like instantaneously. Um, but yeah, like. There's just a different uh, a different pacing to it and a more deliberate like feel. And I think a lot of times that can help create investment in a different way because it's so mm-hmm. like it's so specific. Um, but yeah, I think I guess the conclusion to kind of draw from all this is yeah, like there are some experiences out there that you that were had like 30 years ago and you may not even know that they are out there to be had. Um I would say for like a good slice of retro role playing, um, like original Dungeons and Dragons is so like kind of well known now because of the OSR. And there's um, there are many better ways of experiencing it than the original books. Uh, like Swords and Wizardry is probably like, or the Black Hacker. There's a, a mm-hmm. lot of those. Just type OSR into Google and download the first like two thousand games because that's how many there, there are. Um, for the heavy side, um, it's hard not to recommend Rollmaster, but it's also hard to recommend this. Um, <laughs> well, I would say, like, I, I I would say get into Rune, check out RuneQuest first, maybe. Like, make a progression. Yeah. RuneQuest is a solid, like, mid-range. You have hit yeah. locations, and you have skill modifiers, and it's, it's still pretty exacting, but it's not going to grind you into the dirt. Uh, and it's... Yeah, and it's a fantastic game. I mean, there's a reason it's still around, being published today. Um, yeah. I'm partial to the older versions, but they're honestly all, like, pretty good. And if you want something that's on the heavy old side, I would say, like, GURPS is a great place to go. Yeah, you know? like, uh, one thing I want to do is take the one thing I always thought was cool from Rifts and never got to use, which was the Ley Lines and the Ley Line Walkers, mm-hmm. building, build a setting completely around that using the GURPS uh actual mechanical system yeah that would be really awesome uh i was thinking um recently of doing a gerbs uh, x-files game uh with yeah. the whole alien infiltration uh because you have the rules for like psionics and cybernetics so you could do the whole thing kind of like XCOM, where like as you investigate and defeat aliens you get to like use their technology and stuff so you would end up as 
you know, these like superhuman crazy characters. Yeah, like powering up over time. Yeah, and then you can, you know, you can get to do crazy stuff like, oh, the the government has decided like terminate the project and like nuke you because you're now you're a threat to like national security. Yeah, I, I like, yeah, like forget forget rule master at the start. Like the best two introductions to a grindier game are going to be uh, RuneQuest and GURPS. I think so. Um, and they're both like battle tested. They're games that have been around for years. And in both cases, the exact version doesn't really matter that much. They are not, they haven't changed that much over the years. Um, you can get, you know, opinions online of which to get, but honestly, you're fine either way. Um, and then, yeah, maybe look into some of the OSR stuff if you want some examples of like really rules light gaming. Um, that is very easy to pick up because everyone has played Dungeons and Dragons and everyone knows how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's a good slice of like uh, retro gaming. Uh, if you're into miniatures, check out Battletech. Uh, you know, yeah, I think that's our. Those are conclusions I'm pretty uh, pretty comfortable with. I think. Yeah, it, it's an interesting kind of split, though. Mm-hmm. I, I guess there there's a, this more 1970s influenced philosophy. And then uh, the the it evolves into the '90s thing where it's like you got the pile of dice and figure out which pool to use for every different thing. But anyway, um, I think that covers it for this evening. So uh, as always, we appreciate everyone who has checked out this episode and have a great week. Yeah, have an excellent week. Stay safe, and we will catch you later. <laughs>